Welcome to Renewing Your Mind with the Word of God podcast, an in-depth study of the Word of God. The program's name is from Romans 12, 2, which says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Welcome back to Renewing Your Mind with the Word of God podcast, where we are taking a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the Word of God, particularly out of the New Testament. We are still in the book of John, the Gospel of John chapter 10. In this episode, we're going to finish chapter 10. We're going to pick up where we left off from our last episode, which is verse 22 in John chapter 10. And if you're not already done so, I would encourage you to open your Bible or your Bible app and go to the book of John that is found in the New Testament and chapter 10. And we're going to pick up and verse number 22. But before we do, let's do a brief recap. In our last episode, Jesus, again, let me go back even further. Jesus has healed a man who was blind from birth on the Sabbath. And as a result, he has drawn attention and criticism from the religious leaders of that time, which were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes. These were the religious leaders of the Jewish community during that time. And they had imposed certain man-made rules on what could or could not be done on the Sabbath. And Jesus healing this man, which in which you would normally think should be celebrated, they weren't thinking about this man being healed. They was thinking about Jesus has broken uh, yet again another one of our rules. And so Jesus in, has is engaged in a dialogue with these religious leaders, and he had used the analogy of being the good shepherd, which he is over his sheep, which are his believers. And in our last episode, Jesus continued that conversation where he was telling them that a hard hand, the one is over the sheep pen. That's where they kept all the sheep in their hired hand. They're going to be there for the sheep as long. They're getting some kind of benefit. But as soon as they're not getting some kind of benefit or they're in danger, they will abandon the sheep, particularly referring to those religious leaders that they had alternative motives of being in the positions they were in, that they didn't really care about the people where he made this comparison where he, him being the good shepherd, that he, since these were his sheep, he would be willing and would lay down his life for the sheep. And Jesus did that. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that you believe that he came, he was the only begotten son of God, that he died for your sins. You're a part of the sheep. You're part of the sheep pen. He is your good shepherd and he laid down his life for you. And so he was telling the Pharisees that he as the good shepherd would do that. And he did that on the cross. But he also went a bit further because, again, during this time, Jesus ministry was particularly to Jewish community, Israel, because Jesus was Jewish. He went on to tell these Jewish peoples and Jewish leaders that the that there were other sheep that was not a part of the sheep pen that eventually would become a sharp part of the sheep pen. That means he was referring to Gentiles, non-Jews, that Jesus was predicting and telling them, even though I don't think they understood this part at the time because of the nature of relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews did not get along with the Gentiles and despise the Gentiles because they believed that they were the chosen people of God and Gentiles were not. 
And therefore, they didn't probably grasp this at the time that he was referring to that when he would die, he would not only die for Jews, he would die for Gentiles as well. And that those who would believe in him as Lord and Savior, whether you were Gentile or Jew, he would become your good Savior, good shepherd, because he died for you. And so that was the recap of the last episode. In this episode, we're going to finish chapter 10, which is going to consist of this ongoing confrontation of the Jewish leaders at that time with Jesus. So we're going to pick up in verse 22. We're going to read through verse 42, and then we're going to come back and break it down. So if you would go with me to John chapter 10, verse 22, and let's pick it up from there. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in the in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Verse number 25, Jesus, Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe the works I do in my father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they know me. I will give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Verse number 31. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Verse number 34. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I have said you are God's. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside. What about the one whom the father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. Verse number 38. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, Believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Verse number 40. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptized in the early days. There he stayed and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And the final verse, number verse, number 42. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, you're wonderful. You're great. You're just a good God. You're just a great, awesome, mighty, powerful, wonderful God. You're our God. And we just love you. And we just thank you. We thank you for your only begotten son, Jesus, that you would send him to die for our only for all of our sins. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for dying for our sins. Thank you for your word. Thank you for opening up your word to us to allow us to better read it and understand it by the power of the Holy Spirit. We just thank you, Lord. Bless this 
reading and studying of your word. In Jesus' holy name, amen and amen. All right, so let's go back to verse number 22. And for the sake of continuity, we're going to read and look at verse number 22, verses number 22 and 23 together, which says, again, this is John chapter 10 out of the New Testament. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. Verse number 23, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. We are now a few months after the events that occurred at the Feast of Booths, that's B-O-O-T-H-S, or Tabernacles held in the fall. Because, and what this is referring to, this is after Jesus healed the man that was born blind, that incident. That incident occurred during the time of the Feast of Booths. Now, a few months later, in the wintertime, they're at a different feast in Jerusalem called the Feast of Dedication. Now, John is describing a separate visit to Jerusalem during this time and his encounter with the Jewish leaders at Solomon Temple, which was a center of the religious culture and just the culture of Israel as a whole, because during that time, they were a religious culture. Everything was based around the temple. Everything was based about around the word of God. And so these festivals that we're talking about, they were important. Being at that temple, which is was to be the in our in our term, the biggest church. In that day, in that city, that all the Jews would come and worship. So this is where the things is going to transpire that we're going to talk about in this episode. They happen in that temple, particularly on the colonnade, which was a roofed outdoor hallway lined with columns of the Jewish temple. So think about this church or building and it has a patio, but it's covered and it's lined with these columns. And that's where this incident is important. And the reason why John is giving us this detail that this incident occurred in Solomon's colonnade is because when I was studying this, pretty much these Jewish leaders had Jesus cornered where that colonnade or this covered patio, outdoor patio was constructed where they um, confronted Jesus, he had nowhere to go. He couldn't turn around. And if he went further, he would fall off because it was like an elevated part. It would fall off uh, like a cliff. So they basically chose this part of the temple to confront Jesus because they knew he would have nowhere to go. So and basically they had cornered Jesus. They put his back against the wall. And so that's why John is giving us this detail of where this happened in the temple uh, courts in the colonnade part, because in essence, they had Jesus blocked off to confront him. All right, moving on to verse number 24, the Jews. And again, when you see this, the word of God is particularly talking about the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees and scribes, not all the Jewish people or the common people, but particularly the Jewish leaders. So when it says the Jews here is talking about the Jewish leaders, particularly the Pharisees, the Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly in the gospel. John, the phrase, as I just said about the Jews meant the religious leaders. The Greek term describing their action actually means that they surrounded him. They encompassed him. They enclosed him. So in other words, it's like picture uh, a student being bullied and he's being surrounded on all sides. So that's what, when you read it in the Greek text, they're describing here. So there's just not no friendly confrontation where they just come in and let's say, hey, Jesus, let's talk. No, these people, if you can remember, these Jewish leaders, they're angry at Jesus. You know, they don't want to have a friendly conversation. They're encompassing him because they intent on doing him harm. And that's what John is describing here. And they particularly chose this spot of the temple to do that at so he couldn't escape. Verse number 24 describes 
them lifting stones to or later verses anyway, describe them lifting stones to attack to attack Jesus, particularly verse number 31. But this is in if picture this, this is inside the grounds of a holy temple. It was pristine. It was beautiful. So there wouldn't have been just stones laying around for them to pick up. So in other words, those individuals had already brought those stones with them to stone Jesus. They came there with the intent to murder Jesus. So when we're going to see later on in verse number 31, when he talked about picked up stones, it comes in the connotation that they had already picked up those stones earlier and brought them to the temple. Because again, if you like go to your church, if you go to church, you're just not just going to go in there and, and, and you look down and stones are on the ground. Like again, this was the, this was a, the most prestigious religious building in all of Jerusalem. It was very clean, very well kept. It was immaculate. And so those stones just would not have been just laying around for them to pick up to stone Jesus. They had already brought those stones with them because they were intent on stoning, killing Jesus in the most high in a holy place, their most holy place, the temple, because he had dared to book the system. He had dared to break their man made law. But that's what they came there to do. But we're going to see that's not going to happen because it was not Jesus's time and Jesus would not be harmed. He would not be killed in such time and he would freely give up his life on that cross. But that uh, this day would not be that day. And so when they were asking, going back to the verse, when they were asking, will you tell us? Would you please go ahead and tell us, not please, but tell us in plain language that you're the Messiah. This was just not an academic question. In other words, they were not asking this question because they would actually wanted to know whether or not Jesus was indeed the Messiah. They were in essence challenging him to say it again, like say it again. You say something like and you think about when you're in the child in your childhood and you say something off or somebody say something off and you dare them to say it again, because if you if they do, there's going to be some consequences. That's what they were saying. So when they're asking Jesus plainly, tell us that you were the Messiah. They're not asking because they want to hear Jesus actually give them information that he's the Messiah. They're like, we dare you say that you're the Messiah because we've already, they already know they got these stones. And once you say it, we're going to stone you because you're being blasphemous. And so that's the picture of what's going on here. So keep that in in context. All right, moving on to verse number, we're going to read verses 25, 26, and 27 together for context. Verse number 25, Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe the works I do in my father's name testify about me. Verse number 26, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Verse number 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Jesus tell these religious leaders that he's already told them that he's the Messiah. Jesus is not backing down. He's reiterating the point he made before, because again, Jesus is God by the power of the Holy spirit. He's fully God. And he's fully man during this time. He know what those men came there to do. He know they have those stones. He know they're asking this question, not because they want to actually hear Jesus say he's the Messiah and they want to believe. He know that they're asking these questions. So if he repeated, they're going to stone him. But what does he do? He didn't back down. He reiterate. I've already told you. But the reason why, as I told you before, you don't want to believe because you're not of my sheep. You don't want to believe. You don't want to hear my voice. Because my sheep hear my voice and they recognize it. Jesus voice is God's voice. If you don't hear the voice of God, it means you're not part of his flock. And these men were not part of his flock. Moving on to verse number 28. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. 
No one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus also makes clear to these individuals a unmistakable reference to the nature of eternal life he offers that is permanent, is irrevocable. So once you become, once you confess and believe Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you have eternal life, which begins right then and there. Not when this physical body die, when you when your spirit is born again or recreated, that spirit should never die. It shall never die. Even if once this fleshly body dies, your spirit, the spirit man never dies. And that's permanent and is irrevocable. And that's what he's telling them. The eternal life granted by Jesus to his sheep, those are the believers, cannot and will not ever be stolen, revoked or lost. And he's telling them this. Verse number 29, my father who has given me, who's given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. Jesus again links his power and authority with that of God, the father. Those who are saved through Jesus Christ are saved because they're given to Jesus by God, the father. And he said, if God gives them to me, no one can take them out of his hand. Because why? Because God almighty has given them to me. He indicated that his that the hand of God, the Father, they cannot be taken out of. This implication is that the hand of Jesus is identical to the hand of the Father. A conclusion Jesus is about to state directly that they are one in unity. Verse number 30, it says, I and the Father, I and the Father are one. Jesus is claiming and telling them that he and God are unified as one, a partial explanation of the Trinity. God, the Father, God, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Godhead are one. And he's telling them that, but they don't get it because they're not a part of his flock. Verse number, again, these his Jewish opponents pick up stones to stone him. Looking at verse number, oh, that was verse number 31. Again, his Jewish opponents pick up stones to stone him. And that's going back to what I said earlier. In this context, they had already picked up those stones. So when you read that, you think that then in that moment, they pick up stones. that They pick those stones up to stone Jesus. They had already picked those stones up because they came there with the intent of killing Jesus because they knew Jesus was going to tell them what he'd already told them. I am the Messiah. Indeed, he is. And when he said that, they were going to stone him. So they already had those stones. Verse number 32. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the father. For which of these do you stone me? Though these men claim Jesus is blaspheming and as a liar. And actually, they're the blasphemers because they're telling the son of God, God, that he's not God. Jesus challenged them to explain the miracles that he's done. In other words, the real point of Jesus questions that. He has performed these miracles and they know about the miracles. So many of them, I'm, I'm pretty sure, witnessed these miracles. They've heard about these miracles. And then he's saying, well, why then do you insist that I'm wicked, that I'm blaspheming? Shouldn't they be recognizing his, his authority instead? So in other words, Jesus is saying, I'm just not saying this. If you look at the miracles I'm performing, and that was the very purpose of all these miracles. Because God knows us. He knows men. He know us. So he particularly had Jesus to perform these miracles so they can be proof of who he is. And that's what Jesus is telling them. 
You know I've performed these miracles. And he goes on to say, let's look at verse number 33. We, that's what this, that's, well, he goes on to later say, if you don't even believe me, believe the miracles. But before we get to that, let's look at verse number 33. We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied. These are the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. These Jews respond by ignoring or mixing, missing the actual point of what Jesus is making because they don't want to hear. They already have in their hearts that Jesus is bad. Jesus is not good for us. We got to get rid of him. So it doesn't make a difference what comes out of Jesus' mouth. They're not trying to hear because this Jesus said they're not part of his flock. They're of their father, the devil. They're doing their, the devil's work. Instead, they give this shallow view of what Jesus said, that he's a human being insulting God by claiming to be his equal. Because that's what they think he is. Just, just Jesus, you're just a nobody. And you claim around here that you God. That's why we're Stonian. We know the, we are, we're going to ignore the miracles. Because they had no explanation for the miracles. Oftentimes, when they would challenge, they would switch the subject, go on and talk about other things. Because those miracles were unrefutable. They couldn't be refuted. They couldn't be challenged. They happened. And like I said before, not because of what Je- think about what Jesus was doing. These individuals, I'm sure some of them, they were in the crowds. Everybody wanted to see Jesus was the talk of the town. If you have a man come along, he's healing people from blind. He's taking a little bit of food and feeding thousands people because you got to think of it. People didn't have a lot of entertainment going on. So this was, this was big news. It would be big news now, but they wouldn't distracted like our society now with YouTube and TikTok and all this other stuff that we had to distract us. These people live very simple lives. And you have this man that came out of nowhere. That's healing sick people, raising the dead, Feeding multitudes with a little of nothing. That was big news. That's why when everybody, everywhere Jesus went, crowds followed him. And I'm sure, that's why I'm saying this, I'm sure some of these Pharisees, that's ignoring the miracles, they're ignoring their own eyes that they've seen. They saw some of this stuff. They was a part of it. So it wasn't just people telling them. I'm sure they've seen it. But despite all those things, because the heart of man is so evil. Unless God comes in and changes from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, they were willing to throw all that stuff they knew to be true away in the form of the miracles. And because he is a threat to our popularity and our power, he must go. And that's where, the, that's where they're coming from. So they don't want to hear anything Jesus has to say to the contrary, even though it's true. But let's look at verse number 34 of John chapter 10. Jesus answered them. Is it not in your law? I have said you are gods. And we're going to read verse 35 and 36 for continuity and context. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scriptures cannot be set aside. Verse number 36. Do you say of him whom the fathers consecrated and set and sent into the world? You are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God. And what Jesus is referring to here when he says I said you are God. He's quoting Psalms 82 verses 1 through 8, which says, and let's look at that. Turn, let's go to Psalms 82 and read verses 1 through 8. And to give you some context, what this was during the Old Testament times. And Jesus had, excuse me, God had established judges. And these judges were anointed by God to rule over the people. 
And so they had taken on this euphemism, this poetic term of God's lowercase g. And even God and his word called them that. So let's look at that and see what he's talking about. I'm reading from uh, Psalms 82, verses 1 through 8. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. And those gods are referring to judges. And now we know that if you look at the historical context of the Jews and what was going on, we know that. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Because what's going on, man being man, they was being they were judging unjustly and showing partiality, meaning that the rich was getting off and the poor people was taking the brunt of the judgment. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hands of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness and all the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are God's. Son of the most high, all of you, nevertheless, like men, you shall die, fall like any prince. Arise, O judge, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit. And what he's saying is, I anointed you on my behalf. And you're doing these wicked things, and you're going to pay for that. So that's the context in which Jesus is quoting, because Jesus knows the, what they call the Torah, the, the, what we refer to the Old Testament, their holy scriptures. And he knew that these men knew what he was referring to when he says in verse number 34, is it not written in your law? Meaning that, again, to put it in context, these men were the educated religious class. They knew, they had studied, they knew the word of God, what we would call the Old Testament. Now, they may not necessarily believe all of it, but they knew it. They had mental or book knowledge of the word of God. So when Jesus said in verse number 34, and he said, is it not written in your law? He was referring to something that he knew that they would be familiar with. I have said that you are God's referring to this, the verse in Psalm 82. The point here is Jesus going back to his reference of God's little G is not saying humans are divine. But those who are divinely and divinely enabled to perform the will of God, these judges back during the Old Testament time is a poetic or euphemism referred to as God's in the scripture. If God's quote unquote G.O.D.S. lowercase is an appropriate description from God himself to those who he had enabled to perform his will, those judges, then how can these Pharisees stone Jesus who had performed actual miracles for blasphemy by claiming to be the son of God? In other words, Jesus is saying if God and his word had used the small g ODS to reference and to reference human beings who were doing the will of God, and you found no fault in that. How could you now talking to the Pharisees, try to stone me, Jesus, and I'm actually performing the miracles that you studied and read about that the Messiah would perform? Because, again, when he healed the man, this is one example, who was born blind, none of the prior prophets and men of God had done that. In fact, the word of God they studied had told them that the Messiah would better do those things. So he's making a comparison. He's coming down to the levels on something they would understand in the word of God. How in the world can you stone me when I am actually doing the miracles that you read in the your in God's word that I will be able to perform? And he says that in verse number 35, when he says. Jesus then states that one cannot claim that God's word is in error. And so in other words, he's saying, you know, God, if you're standing on God's word and you believe it's God's word, it's not an error. You know what I'm doing is of God because it was predicted in his word. If God uses the terms little G gods, that's little 
G-O-D-S, in reference to humans, then Jesus' statement about being united with God isn't necessarily blasphemous. In order to instantly condemn Jesus, that's exactly what these men would have to do. They've had to assume that in and all such statements are automatically sinful. And Jesus is challenging them as to whether they're willing to call a particular scripture wrong in order to condemn him. In other words, if the word of God has no error and is calling men, not calling them gods, divine, but look gods because they were empowered by God. If God can do that and you have no problem with it, how can you now stone me and call me blasphemous when I say I'm the son of God and I've performed these miracles to prove it? The two cannot stand together and he's bringing that to their attention. But they can, they're not listening to reason. Let's move on to verse number 37. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. Jesus points out here that if his actions or the actions of anyone else don't line up with such claims, then statements like his would in fact, in fact be blasphemous. But he's saying, I'm not just saying, I'm not just walking to, talking to talk, I'm walking to walk. I'm performing these miracles that you cannot refute. So how can you say I'm being blasphemous when I say I'm the son of God, when I say I'm the Messiah, because I am. If Jesus is not or did not do the works as granted to him by God the Father, then these men would be obligated to reject him as being a false teacher and blasphemer. Because I'm, as I said before, I'm sure plenty of people had come along before claiming to be the Messiah, but they had no proof of that through the works of miracles. And Jesus did because he was and is the Messiah, the son of God. And Father God had empowered him to do all those things. And therefore, since Jesus has acted in harmony with the will of God, they have no excuse for ignoring his claim that he was the Messiah, the son of God. Moving on to verse number 38. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father's in me and I in the father. He explained it, how his miracles ought to be clear evidence of its truth. I'm sure, as I said, just stated, I'm sure plenty of men came along claiming to be the Messiah, but they had no miracles. They had no proof of that. Jesus did. Therefore, even if they did not like what Jesus was saying or didn't like Jesus personally, even if they did not believe him as an individual, they ought to believe on the basis of his signs that could no one could refute that took place. We also see in verse number 38, Jesus repeats what he said in verse number 30, that he and the father are one claiming unity with God, the father. And they recognize what he was saying. And they're going to try to stone him for that. Look, let's look at verse number 39. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. And we're not told how he escaped. We don't know if it was supernatural. Someone intervened, but we know why he was able to escape. And the reason why he was able to escape, because it was not his time. God had appointed a certain time for Jesus to give his life for our sins on that cross. 
and nothing was going to happen to Jesus until such that until that appointed time had came. And it came, and thank him that it did. Because due to his death, burial, and resurrection, we as sinners, me, you, have an opportunity to have our sins washed away, forgiven. Because he's taken a, he took our place on that cross, and the only thing he asked for us to believe and confess, we can't earn it, we can't work our way. He did it all. But we we see once again that Jesus escaped because they've had multiple attempts and tried to seizing Jesus to kill him. But they could not do it because God had a plan and that plan was fulfilled on Calvary, on his timeline. Moving on to verse number 40. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptized in the early days. There he stayed. We're going to read verse 41 and verse 42 as well. And many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And then the final verse, number 42. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. So we see in these verses, Jesus had temporarily left that area of Jerusalem and and went to a surrounding area of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, due to the rising threats on his life by the local religious leaders because they were after Jesus. I don't know if you've seen a recurring theme theme here. Everywhere Jesus was and performing miracles, there they were to try to grab him. There they were to challenging him. And if they would be so bold, because think about where they were going to try to stone Jesus. These religious leaders was going to kill Jesus, who was innocent, hadn't done anything wrong. In the temple, on temple grounds, the Jewish most holiest place they were going to commit murder so that's why he left that that area because he knew it was hot in that area but his appointed time is going to come we also see he goes to a region where john the baptist had preached prior to jesus's public ministry that preaching it seems had made the people much more receptive to jesus teaching because they knew about him And they say, although John didn't perform miracles and that he was not the Savior, that is, John the Baptist was not the Savior, he did not perform any miracles, they recognized that John's teaching about Jesus was true and that Jesus' miracles proved that he was sent by God. And this is the conclusion God intended in response to these true miracles. Those people believed. They believed in Jesus. You have an opportunity to believe in Jesus by hearing the word of God, knowing that he died for your sins. He's the good shepherd. Father God, we just thank you. Your word is powerful and true. You're powerful and true. Lord, I thank you for every listener. I thank you that you're in control. I thank you that you have forgiven our sins by the death, burial, and resurrection of your son. I thank you for this time to better study your word. I thank you for every listener. Thank you, great God. And if you're listening to this and you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've not confessed him as your Lord and Savior, now is your time. Do not miss this opportunity. Do not miss it. The next five minutes is not promised to 
any of us. And you have now heard the message of Jesus Christ. You have no excuse. And if you feel in your heart, something in your heart, something in you just saying, I believe that. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he was the son of God. Take this opportunity now to confess it. The word said if you confess in your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died for you, shall be saved. If that's you, ma'am, sir, pray this prayer with me. Father God, I am a sinner. And I believe you sent your only begotten son, Jesus, to die for my sins. I confess him as my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. I believe and confess you died for my sins. Father God, I believe that you raised him from the dead because he was perfect. Jesus, forgive my sins. You're now my King of kings, my Lord and Lords. In your name, amen. And if you believe that and you confess that according to God's infallible word, you're a new creature. All things have passed away and behold the new. You may not feel like it, but the God of word is not based upon our fickle feelings. It's based upon him being God and cannot lie. And if he said it is true, he said, if you shall call on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. And you just did that. So you are a new creature. Your sins have been forgiven. You now have eternal life. I'm not saying the physical body will not die. Unless the rapture comes, your natural course of death will happen. The physical body will die, but the new spirit man will live forever. And matter of fact, God's words tell us that new spirit man would eventually be rejoined with a glorified body. The old body will be glorified to become a perfect body. The spirit and the new glorified body are going to be reunited. They will live forever. That's the plan. And you don't understand all of that. That's fine. That's all of us. And when you first accept Jesus Christ as Savior, no one understands it all. Even afterwards, no matter how long you live, no one is going to understand everything about God because we can't. He's God. He's beyond understanding. But he has revealed himself through his word so we can have some understanding of him. And that's what you that's the point of this study of his word to see who he is, who he claimed to believe. Who he is. He has revealed himself through his word. And even in that. We're not going to understand all of it. But as you pray to him, as I encourage you to do, as you study his word, as I encourage you to do. He will open himself up to you through his word. He will reveal it to you. He was like, you understand it. But he made it. He's made. You to understand that you are a sinner and that you need him and that he died for you. That he's the son of God. And that's the beginning. Hallelujah for that. I thank you. I thank God for you. And I encourage you to tell someone being a Christian is not a secret thing. We are the light of the world according to the word of God. We should not be ashamed of Jesus. And what he did for us. So tell someone. That you have now believed and confessed Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Don't be ashamed of that. That's nothing to be ashamed of. That's something you should be proud of. That you know the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the great I am. The creator of you and everything that you see. And more. God is more real than the voice you're listening to. He's more real than you. He's more real than anything. 
before any of us, before any of this, this world that we know and think we know, that was him. He has no beginning and no end. He's eternal. And that's who you serve now. That's who you will live forever with. You belong to him now. He purchased you on that cross. Because everyone that was born of Adam, that's all of us, deserve death. Because we've sinned because of Adam's sin and our own sin. But for Jesus taking your place, my place on that cross, We'll be lost, nothing, but before, but due to his mercy and grace, his love for the father, he came down and laid down his life for my sins, for your sins. And I thank him that he did. I thank him that he did. Thank you, Father God. Well, we will start a new chapter, chapter 11 in John, the book of John. Until next time, may God bless you. Amen and amen. We pray that this Bible study has blessed you. If you have a prayer request, you can email it to renewyourmindm at gmail.com or mail it to P.O. Box 721143, Jackson, Mississippi, 39272. Remember, you can hear current and past episodes at any time on our website of Renew Your Mind ministries.org or on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Alexa, Audible, and Google Podcasts. We encourage you to tell others about the program and share our website of renewyourmindministries.org. Jesus says in Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. By telling others about the program, You are doing your part to spread the gospel into all the world about our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Until next time, this has been Renewing Your Mind with the Word of God.